Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with the commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. So Isaac summoned Jacob and blessed him, and he instructed him and said to him, Do not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aran in the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take a wife from there, from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and make you numerous. And may you become a congregation of peoples. May he grant you the blessings of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may possess the land of your sojourns which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went toward Padamaran to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Armenian brother of Rebekah, mother of Jacob and Esau. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him off to Padamaran to take himself a wife from there, and he blessed him, he, con he commanded him, saying, You shall not take a wife from among the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and went to Padamaran, then Esau perceived that the daughters of Canaan were evil in the eyes of Isaac, his father. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, sister of Neboeth, in addition, in addition, that's important, in addition to his wives as a wife for himself. Amen. Uh, just one final thought on the mass thing. I just want to put everybody at ease. A lot of people started wearing masks because the government said it might be a good idea. They were lying. They were. Dr. Fauci even admitted that it was nothing more than theater to give the illusion of safety, to keep people calm. That's why initially they said, don't wear a mask, it won't help. And then later, as people started to freak out, they were like, you know what, wear a mask. You say, well, doctors wear masks. They do. They wear a mask, they go in a room, they take it out, throw it in the trash, go in a new room, put on a new mask, take away, throw it in the trash, go in a new room, take, put on the... You, you have your mask you wear everywhere and anywhere, and you've been wearing it for three weeks. That's like wearing the same underoos. Thank you, Pete. Pete says, stick to the Bible. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> Woo! If you don't like it, it's not for you. No, just, kidding. just kidding. All right. We can have fun, right? All right. Don't be scared. Don't ever be scared. And don't ever quit. The 14 missing years. This is, goes back a little ways in our chapter, but I wanted to point this out because it's very interesting. There are 14 missing years that the sages point out in Jacob's life. We're going to find out what he did with those missing years. This is the insight. This comes from um, the Art School Humash Green Book where it brings down the Talmudic insights. It says here, The Torah tells us the lifespan of Ishmael so that we can calculate the years that Yaakov studied in the yeshiva of Eber. So these 14 missing years were 14 years that Jacob spent studying in the yeshiva of Eber. Since the pasuk here says that Ishmael lived 137 years, 
We know that Ishmael was 14 years old than his brother Isaac, since Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born, and he was 100 when Isaac was born. Now Isaac was 60 years old when Yaakov was born, making Ishmael 74 at that time. Ishmael lived another 63 years, dying at the age of 137. Therefore, Yaakov was 63 when Ishmael died. It was at that time that Yaakov received the blessing from Isaac, and he fled from home. Now that we know this, we can calculate that 14 years of Yaakov's life are not accounted for. If Yaakov had arrived at Laban's home at the age of 63, then 14 years later when Yosef was born, Yaakov would have been 77. Now, when Yosef was promoted to the viceroy of Egypt, Yosef was 30 years old. When did Yosef start working the work as a viceroy? 30. That's about the time that Yeshua started his work. Said so this would mean that Yaakov was 107. We add that to the seven years of plenty, the two years of famine, after which Yaakov came to Egypt and appeared before Pharaoh. That would have made Yaakov only 116 years old at that time. However, the verse says that he was 130. The 14 missing years are the years that Yaakov spent learning Torah and the yeshiva of Ever before he ever arrived at Laban's home. So just wanted to point that out, that calculation the sages bring down, because before Yaakov went to get his wife, Yaakov understood. Now, this is a, this is a person who spent his whole life hanging around, it says in the scripture, around the tents. In other words, he stayed close to the study hall. He was it, Studying the word of God was important to him, but he was about to go find a wife. At the time, he only, wanted, he only was going for one, okay? He was going to go find a wife, and he knew that the, this wife was going to be instrumental to him, so he had to find the good wife, obviously, and that his whole life purpose was now that the entire charge that God had given Abraham had now fallen to him. In other words, he had taken personal responsibility to keep the torch going. This is what differentiated, really, Esau from Jacob. Esau wanted all the glory and wanted all the glamour of the, of the position. He wanted all the stuff, but he didn't want any of the responsibility. He didn't want to follow through with anything, whereas Jacob wanted all... He, wanted, he was interested in the mission, and all of the stuff was secondary. And that's what true leadership is, by the way, that all the stuff is secondary. The mission is what matters. That's the most important thing. So, coming back to our, our section here in 28 verse 1, it says, So Isaac summoned Jacob and blessed him. And the rabbis asked, Why did he bless him again? He blessed him already once, the whole episode of, of the fakery, the trickery. So why did he bless him again? And Rabbi Abuhu says, Jacob hold, Jacob's hold on the earlier blessing was weak. One might have said that had he not deceived his father, he would not have even received it. So Isaac now confirmed them on his own accord and on his own initiative. This is like a young prince who, uh, who takes a piece of gold belonging to his father, and his father says to him, why all the secrecy? Come, and I will give it to you openly. So the whole purpose of Isaac blessing, we read, we read this, Isaac blessed Jacob publicly so that Esau would know and the rest of the world would know 
that Jacob got the blessing, that he earned the blessing. It wasn't stolen. It was not a stolen blessing. The first time he was blessed was, was involved trickery, but this time it was a blessing that his father gave him openly. Rabbi Monk also brings out another interesting insight about this verse 3 where it uses the term Shaddai, or Almighty God. He says, May Shaddai, the El Shaddai, make you fruitful and make you numerous. So the meaning of Shaddai, I thought, was important to share this because we have Shaddai on every mezuzah that we have <clears throat> around. If you really think about it, we have Shaddai on every mezuzah twice. So like the first and second Mashiach. The Shaddai is on the outside of the mezuzah. It's represented by the sheen in most cases. But in some cases, it's actually spelled out, the sheen dalat yud. So you see Shaddai on the outside of the mezuzah. This is why we touch our fingers to the, to the sheen and we kiss our, the back of our fingers. So we practice, we practice safe kissing of the mezuzah. Anyway, before COVID, we touch it here and kiss it here, right? So anyway, but on the inside of the mezuzah is the parchment. And on the parchment, on the outer part of the parchment is written in ink, Shaddai. So you have an outer Shaddai and an inner Shaddai. So what does Shaddai mean? It, a lot of people translate Shaddai as my God is all sufficient, which is not necessarily a bad translation, but this is going to expand it out a little bit. So it says the name Shaddai is usually invoked when the blessing of being fruitful and multiplying is asked for. Rashi explains this name in the following way. I have enough divine power for all the creatures. By the way, I have enough divine power for all the creatures being fruitful and multiplying. It just so happens that the name Shaddai is the same gematria of, of the name for Memtet. Like they're connected that way. So Memtet, who is the Mashiach, is Yeshua. Yeshua is all about multiplying, being fruitful and multiplying people into the kingdom. That's why his name is related to Shaddai. It says, the word, this word has the same meaning throughout the Torah, and it must be understood according to the context. To this idea, the other commentators add that of omnipotence, so that Shaddai may be defined God who, through his omnipotence over the elements of nature, dispenses blessing even where physical conditions would preclude childbearing. So Shaddai is like is, is the same gematria as Memtet. Memtet is the Mashiach, which is why his, he was omnipotent in his power. He had the power even over nature. This is why the disciples said, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Because that, that key of the wind and the sea allegedly at that their understanding was belonged to Hashem only. So it says, thus far, Isaac had not wanted to make mention of having children in his blessing, for Esau's wives were a cause of sorrow for him. He waited until Jacob had agreed to go to Amram and marry a woman of his family before giving him. Now, what's interesting about sending him off to find a wife from his brother Laban, if we remember... When Eliezer went to Laban's house to find Rebekah, we learned about Laban, that Laban was totally a total idolater, totally into witchcraft, totally into the occult. 
And so it's remarkable to me. It's just another example of where very often purity comes from impurity. And he says, listen, don't, don't take any of the Canaanite wives. They're a curse. You're not allowed to take them. Even the good friends uh, of, of Abraham, who were presumably were in the, in the covenant, you're not even allowed to take any of their daughters simply because they are of Canaanite or, origin. And the Canaanites were particularly cursed and not allowed to come into the covenant at all, much like the Moabite men. So I'm going to send you to your, your brother Laban's house. And Jacob was a little concerned about this, like, well, my, my uncle is not exactly, a, you know, in the covenant. And the answer given to him was like, yeah, but your mother was his brother. So see, your mother was a, a good, upright person. She was a diamond in the rough, and you'll go find a diamond in the rough as well. So he sent him off. To this, Rabbi Monk says, the same verse contains a second reference to your mother from the daughter of Laban, your mother's brother. Although Jacob dreaded going to look for a wife among the idolatrous family of Bethuel, Isaac wanted him to understand that in a place where someone as pure as his mother had been born and perfectly raised, Jacob could very well find a life companion despite the presence of Laban. Now, we look back here at Mayam Loez. Got a couple of insights. It says here, the true heart of Esau. This is from chapter 27 and verse 41. It says, Esau was furious at Jacob because of the blessing which his father had given him. So Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. I will then kill Jacob. He said, my father is already old. Why should I even bother mourning him? Let the days of mourning for my father come already. If I kill Jacob now, Shem and Eber will judge me and put me to death. And he says, I don't want to be stupid like Cain. Cain killed his brother Abel and accomplished nothing. His father was still alive, and therefore they just had another son. So what I'll do is I will wait until my father is dead, and then I will kill Jacob. At that point, I will be the only son left, and therefore, I will inherit everything. By the way, did you know, I didn't share this last week because I just didn't get to it, but did you know that the angels of the Lord prevented Esau from finding any game when he was out hunting for his father? So uh, that delayed the whole experience, which gave Jacob and Rebekah time for their ruse. Meanwhile, here is Esau, he's out in the field and he's trying to capture game and hunt game and every time he captures something, an angel comes and lets it loose. So you know what Esau did? He went to the Wuhan wet market. <laughs> no, not really, but actually what he did is it says that he, he slaughtered a dog and brought it to his father and was going to disguise it as game. That's the kind of heart that Esau had, that he just wanted it no matter what, that he was, willing to he was willing to use the commandments only when it benefited him, only when it suited him, only when he could be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. But all the other things he just dispensed with whenever it wasn't convenient for him. That's the heart of, of Esau versus the heart of Jacob. It says in Ma'am Loez's commentary to 28.1, it says, talking about going out to, to find a wife, he says, I do not rely, or excuse me, I, he's, I'm sorry, it says, I do not really have to give you orders 
you yourself realize that the Canaanites are cursed. This is Isaac talking to his son Jacob. And if you marry them, it will nullify your blessing. Still, there are men such as Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre who are saints. And you might think it permissible to marry one of their daughters. After all, they were your grandfather's, Abraham's closest friends. I am therefore giving you orders that even these girls should not be considered. The moral of the story is that the uh, life partner, obviously we all know this, is very important. The, the wife is very important. And in this case, it was very important for Jacob to go and find a wife from the right source. Now, what I mentioned earlier about where it says that, that um, Esau married this woman in addition to his other wives. Um, the issue was not that he had other wives, but rather that he had already had wives that he had married that were Canaanite women. And when he married this other woman who was of the lineage of Ishmael, that the sages bring down in the commentaries that he actually was considering uh, converting. I think it's right here in the Midrash Shabbat, if I remember correctly. Let me see if this is the proper, proper reference. Yes, Esau's almost conversion. Esau's almost conversion. Midrash Abbas 67.13. It says, Esau perceived that the daughters of Canaan were evil, etc., so he went to Ishmael. So he started to figure it out. Hey, these women, they're not the best. They're not the best. They don't, they don't cook the Lord's chips. Listen, they... They're so bad, I have to keep a Adam's garment in my mother's tent because I'm afraid they're going to sell it in, 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 on the open market. And then what happened? My mother took the garment, gave it to my brother, and now look at what happened. So he's done with these women. <clears throat> and besides that, they don't make falafel. So Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said Esau intended to convert. That's interesting, isn't it? He's born of Isaac, but now he wants to convert. It just goes to show you that we all have to go through conversion at some point. So it says here, Ishmael's daughter is called Mahalaf, indicating that the Holy One, blessed be he, forgave Mahal, Esau, for all his sins, now, there's another insight to this, by the way, uh, uh, from, um, I believe this is from Rabbi Monk. One of the reasons why God forgave Esau for all the sins is because he got married. And it says here, the newly married man is one of those whose transgressions are pardoned on the day of honor. This is from the Talmud Yerushalayim Bikurim. But the question arises, why is this lesson taught just on the occasion of marriage of Esau, who is usually considered an immoral being and a heretic. The reason is, is because it applies even to this type of individual. In other words, you could be a total reprobate, but on the day of your marriage, God forgives you of all your sins. Why? Well, the answer is because a groom begins a new existence. Accordingly, the sins of his past are forgiven so that he may build his future on new foundations, sound and solid ones. But, unfortunately, Esau didn't know how to take advantage of this. 
So Esau was thinking about conversion. He was forgiven all of his sins. Elsewhere it says her name is Basmath, or Basemath, maybe if you want to pronounce it that way, which connotes that Esau's mentality had improved. And it goes on to explain why that name means that. But it says at the time, at that time, he decided to marry her. So he's on the right track. He finds a girl who's not a Canaanite. She's actually part of his family. This, in this case, it's his cousin. And he's, he's feeling the, the urge to convert. He's feeling his mind is improving. He wants to be a better person. So he marries the woman. The problem is, it says that Rabbi Eliezer brings down that had Esau banished the first wives, then that this all would have been proper. But the scripture says that he took her in addition to his wives, and it says it's clear that his measure to her was a pain added on to another pain. Esau's marriage to Mahalath was a thorn added onto a thorn a further addition onto an already full house. In other words, because he wasn't willing to let go of his Canaanite wives, his marriage to this woman did not have the effect. And when I thought about that, it made me think about the, the moments in people's lives when they want to take upon themselves the mitzvot of God, they want to take upon themselves the commandments of God, they want to embrace the Torah, but they're just not ready or willing to let go of bad theology or nostalgic ideas. Or they want, to, they want to keep Hanukkah and keep Passover and keep Sukkot and all that, but they also want to do Christmas and Easter. They want to keep those Canaanite wives. And so they, they're a near convert. They've almost entered into the covenant. They've come very, very close uh, to doing just that. It says here that um, Jacob had a fault, by the way. Uh, this is an interesting insight from Rabbeinu Bakia, because I always like to point out, I, I, I'm fascinated, I should say, with how Hashem continues throughout His Word to use people that are not perfect. A lot of times we're under the illusion that God can only use perfect people. I don't know people have known this for years, but it's worth repeating. Even in the Talmud, you find um, a lot of excuse-making for failures among leaders. Like people will say in the Talmud or in other rabbinic literature, well, you know... Uh, we know that Aaron was involved in making the golden calf, but he didn't really make the golden calf. <laughs> you see, what happened was, it was all a ruse. So that I'm like, man, put the crack pipe down. <laughs> Aaron, he, he, he had a moment of weakness. He folded like a long, he folded like a cheap lawn chair at a bad pool. And you know what? It happens to us sometimes. Better to just say that's what happened than try to make this long excuse about how he didn't actually really sin. You know? And the sages kind of get into that a little bit when, the, when they start talking about David sending uh, Uzziah to his death. They're like, well, 
The moment that he said, hey, go be, go be with your wife. And the moment that the guy said, uh, no, I think I'm just going to lay here by the front gate. That was a defiance of the king's order, and therefore he deserved death. And, there, and so some of the sages are like, so he didn't really sin. David didn't really, And besides that, at, at, at one point he was talking about the general, and he referred to the general as his, his lord in the presence of the king. And in the presence of the king, you can't not supposed to have any other lords except for the king. So that deserved, that was two double whammy. Of course, never mind the fact that David was trying to get him to go be with his wife because he had been with his wife. Instead of just saying, David sinned and that's the problem, we have to make excuses. But then it, makes, it gives this illusion that God doesn't use imperfect people. But here's Jacob's fault. This is from Rabbeinu Bakia. It says, Yitzhak sent Yaakov. It says, here the question arises that seeing Yaakov left his father's home at the command of his parents, why do the sages claim that the separation of 22 years, which Yaakov experienced from his son Joseph, was due to his failure to observe the commandment of honoring his father and mother during that period? So the sages point out that the reason that he was bereft of Joseph for 22 years it was because he failed during this time period to honor his father and mother. But wait a minute. His father and mother said, go find a wife, and he went to go find a wife, so he's gone for 22 years. How is that his fault? Here it is. It says, Megillah 17, perhaps we must assume that his parents had meant for him to marry Leah and to return home forthwith when his father would, have, would sin for him. Now, keep in mind that Esau and Yaakov are twins, and Leah and Rachel are twins. And presumably, Leah was supposed to go to Esau, because she's the older, and Rachel was supposed to go to, to Jacob. But Esau is disqualified, and therefore Jacob has taken the place of the older. So now Leah is, is supposed to be his. You see? So he goes there, and he sees Leah, but apparently he's not as attracted to Leah as he is to Rachel. So he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't really want Leah. He wants Rachel. Now we're going to get into the whole uh, episode of that uh, uh, you know, thing that happened in our upcoming readings. It's going to be really, really eye-opening and fascinating. But we'll just deal with this for the moment. So it's saying here, he should have married Leah and then went right back home. But Yaakov, however, had set in his mind on marrying Rachel on account of her beauty. She was therefore not, he, he rather, was therefore not fulfilling a parental command by doing so, and his delay in returning home was accounted against him because he had volunteered to serve an additional seven years for Rachel. So what's fascinating about this, so he's supposed to marry Leah and just go home. Get the girl, go home. Start a family, right? But watch how Hashem will take your faults and your failures and your sins and turn them into merits. So he says, oh, you know, he, Rachel, I want Rachel, I want to work for Rachel and Laban. Of course, you, you should have known his uncle's a deceiver. So his uncle's like, oh, okay, sure. Gives him Leah instead. Wakes up in the morning, it's Leah. Whoops. 
Like, I didn't want Leah. Like, yeah, but you're supposed to marry her. And by the way, you know, you took Esau's place, and she's the oldest, and so that's just how we do things around here. If you don't like it, it's ain't for you. So he says, but no, 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 I, I've got to have Rachel. I love Rachel. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. I've got to have her. Okay, great. What are you going to do about it? I work for another seven years. So right there, he took that on himself. It was wrong. Later, he had suffered for it for 22 years, not seeing Yosef. But Hashem, again, ain't old Milvado. Gamzu. He ends up with Rachel. Rachel can't have babies, so Rachel gives a handmaiden to him. That becomes his, his, uh, his uh, concubine, which is like a half-wife. So she starts having children, and Leah's like, oh, snap. <laughs> That's exactly what she said, too. It's in the Hebrew. <laughs> and uh, she gives him a handmaiden, which becomes a concubine. And they start having children. So now he's got four wives. He was just going for one. Came back before. And now he's got these, these women, and he started having... But from all of that came the 12 tribes. That's the fascinating part. To me, that's what Hashem says, listen, I can use your faults, I can use your, your failures, and I can turn them in to merits and actually use them for my own purposes. So this is how we close out the life of Isaac. The life of Isaac is turning everything over to his son, giving him the blessing that, that he, had, uh, he had received from his father, Abraham. And at this point, of course, Isaac passes away, and, and that life is over. But what we take away from this is understanding Jacob's motive. The Jacob's motive was he was interested in furthering the covenant. That's what Jacob wanted. He had a little bit of a misstep along the way because he got kind of distracted when he wanted Rachel. He got distracted. In theory, he could have taken Leah home, and Leah could have had 12 tribes. But Leah's probably thankful. <laughs> Leah may have said, thank you, Lord. 12 kids all by herself might have been a little bit much for Leah. But it could have happened that way. But God can pick up the pieces in our life. This is the story we learn where God can take up the pieces and turn them in to merits. And we started out talking about COVID and talking about all this kind of stuff. Listen, let's allow Hashem to pick up the pieces and let's remember that we're not going to be afraid of a virus. We're not going to live in fear of man. We're not going to be looking over our shoulder, wandering at the Illuminati's trying to check our email. Right? We're not, every time we see a chemtrail in the air, we're not going to go into a scrub bath because we've been showered with uh, crystals with which the 5G towers are going to track us. No, no, that, no, that's a real deal. That's, a lot of people were sharing that around on Facebook from our community. Come on, people. I have to be honest with you. Yeah. So anyway, listen, we need to understand that God is in control. God is in control of our life. 
Everything comes from Hashem. Used to be, way back in the day, Rebetzin and I first got married, which, by the way, is 25 years ago, be 25 years uh, this uh, July. Thank you. Um, we used to be, we used to say that there was a demon in every doorknob back then. It was the devil that did everything. And the devil blew my tire out. The devil, my car won't start. The devil got me sick. The devil's keeping me down. We were rebuking the devil and praying against the devil and casting the devil out. We was praying to the devil all the time. We was praying to the devil three times a day. Talked to God every week, once a week. About what the devil was doing. <laughs> the devil's having conversations with us all the time. Stop it, devil. I, I'm glad you're talking to me. Now it's the Illuminati. Now we got the Illuminati in every, uh, every doorknob. Right? We can, fat, we can, we, we can, we can have tongue-in-cheek, right? Half, we're half kidding here, right? Hey, let's be sane. Hashem, thank you, Father, for the book of Vayikra. Thank you, Hashem, for learning from Isaac's life. And be with us as we go into Bamidbar and learn from Jacob's life. Baruch haba Hashem Adonai.